For our second message today, we have um, a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled Pentecost, a First Fruit Festival. That's hard to say. First Fruit Festival. Mr. Andrews. Wow. This is wonderful. See all God's children here today. Isn't it amazing? In the beginning, God thought about you and I. So what did he do? He made festivals. It's interesting to me, as a father, and I, I do have a, pa- a handout, and I hope I've got enough of them. I, I'm, I'm glad that we're all here today and that, the, that you're here to, to observe Pentecost. But I was just thinking, as a father, how I like to see my, my children and my grandchildren. And what better way for God to do something so wonderful is to create times in which he could be with us and we could gather together as a family because that's what we are. In understanding what the Bible says and what it, what's in it, we are called the children of God. We're also called saints, uh, called out ones, different, different things in the Bible, but we are the children of God. And through that, God is teaching us. Interesting, and we're going to get there, in Leviticus 23, we find that those are all laid out for us to understand. Some have rejected it. Someday they're going to learn. They're going to learn about that. And those that might be tuning in, I'm hoping if you come across this one and you get challenged a little bit today, that you will open your Bible and you will look at the Word of God and you will look and see what He has to say about His holy days. Not mine. I say this every time. These are the Lord's feasts. That word Moab that was created in the beginning called seasons is festival time. A time of rejoicing. A time to be together. Now some of our times together are serious. The Passover is a serious time. Atonement where we fast is a serious time. But God has given other times in which we are festive. We will have a potluck ready afterwards. My, my wife was really working hard to, to make sure that whoever was extra here would have plenty of food today. She fixed up some good stuff today. So please join us. But it's, it's God's will that we come together on his day and his special days, which is what Pentecost is, is a special day. And I've called it Pentecost, a first fruit festival, because it is another first fruit. Christ sacrifice on the on, on Passover became the wave sheaf offering, which was a first fruit offering. He is the first fruit of the first first of the first fruits. And so fifty days later. Written out in God's word, 50 days later, we're going to read that. What do we find? It's time to have another holy convocation. And what is it? It's a first fruit time. So let's look and see what, it's, what God has written in his word in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. Like I said, I, I don't know if I made enough copies for everybody to get one, <clears throat> but I did have a uh, printout and one of the things I'm going to say is I might not get to all of it so that's the reason why if we might make some more if you didn't get any let me know I'll make you some more but I want to go through and I've already realized how many scriptures I forgot (laughs) so anyway you realize how full God's word is how abundant it is for us and abundant in life for us and understanding that life that he has given us in understanding his word 
is abundant. So let's, let's begin in the 15th verse of, of chapter 23 of Leviticus. And let's read that. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheath of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. And you shall offer a new meat, or that really means meal offering unto the Lord. Yea, you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deal, and they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. What do we find in the other? It was the days of unleavened bread. Now we have leavened bread to be offered to God. They were to be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. It's interesting. The way she's offering Jesus first of the first fruits, and now we have a first fruit offering. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish. In the first year of the young bullock, two rams, they shall be for burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering or the meal offering, and their drink offerings, and even to the offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. The Lord loves the smell of burning meat. Uh, we, my wife made Swiss steak. And, you know, you've got to brown it before you put it in the crock pot. So the house was full of what? <laughs> burning meat. But God says he loves the smell of those that wafts up to him. It's very interesting. He calls it a sweet savor. A sweet savor. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for, uh, for the priest. And you shall proclaim on that self same day that it may be a holy convocation, a holy assembly. assembly. God wants his children to assemble. He wants to see his children come together. He, he loves us. He wants us to be together. And now we, we, we have not just the Father, but we have the Son sitting together and in the heart. And so consequently, now we're together, and he rejoices that we're here, that we're a part of it. And I think the angels on th these special days are rejoicing to see who is going to come up into the kingdom. Because that's our destiny. Our destiny is in the kingdom. So let's read the rest of this a little bit. And I've got something very interesting also. He says, <clears throat> So there's a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work then. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. In verse 22, it, it has a little different uh, thing. But he, he wants us to understand something. And it became very important later on in the Bible. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of your field. When you reap us, neither shall you gather any gleaning of your harvest. You shall leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Um, and so, that becomes very important a little later on in the Bible, doesn't it? Because there's a, a certain lady who was a Moabitess who really didn't have any future with Israel, and yet because she said that she would follow Naomi, Ruth became in the lineage of David and our Savior. And typically, this is that time of year when many read the book of Ruth, and it's a very inspiring book for all of us uh, to do. So anyway, uh, I just was going to point that out. Uh, that uh, Ruth was one of those books that normally is read this time of year. Acts of the first chapter. Let's come back now and we'll see how this is fulfilled and how powerful, how really powerful this was 
for those that participated in that first Pentecost when the Spirit was given. Jesus told his disciples, in verses 4 and 5, he says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most powerful, powerful um, manifestations that God gave on this earth was the, uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And they asked questions about when Jesus would come, but I want to go into chapter 2, and I want to look at this and, and, and read almost the whole chapter of chapter 2 as we, as we look at how the Spirit came and, and how then, because of the Spirit, they were inspired. And not only that, but there was miracles that, that happened on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as the rushing of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages. By the way, that word... 1100 uh, in, in strong concordance is actually languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so they were inspired by the Spirit that was given to them to utter certain things. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation and under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are, <clears throat> behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, our own language, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and, and, and Pontus, and in Asia, uh, Bagria, and Pamphylia. Pamphylia, or Pamphylia. Don't get me to go in on that one. In Egypt and in parts of Libya. Also, Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We hear them speak in our own language. Wonderful. And they were, they were expressing wonderful works of God. Wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed in every... And, and we're in, in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? Others mocking says, ah, these men are full of new wine. They couldn't see the miracle. And it was so interesting that they could not see that miracle, some of them. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea and all that you dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it would come to pass in the last day, said God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, 
because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made... Uh, you shall make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Those are powerful words. Dead and buried. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, as God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of, of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he has himself, the Lord, said unto my Lord, Sit you on my right hand, until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so on this day of Pentecost, the, the message was going out, Christ is now the Lord in heaven. And from that day forth, it has been going out as a gospel message to whomever will hear the true gospel message. And that's the whole point of what we're talking about today on the day of Pentecost. Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the plan of God continuing on with each individual, as we heard, being called, those that are being called to come to to Christ, who come to repentance, and we're going to read that here in a second, who whose lives are changed. Now, when they had heard this, they were all pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I remember a time in my own life, and I imagine many of us have, when we finally realized what we've been doing in our life, and that it was kind of worthless and, and really come to that point of true repentance, of really realizing that, that um, he was showing me that I needed to change, that I needed to do something different in my life, that I needed Christ in my life. As all of us that are, are here have, have, you know, at one point in our life, especially those that have come through that point, where they are baptized and had hands laid on them, they have come to that. They were pricked in their heart. Then Peter said unto them, and this is, this is the, the way that Peter said it, repent, that means change. Turn around. Don't continue to do what you were doing. Don't continue to sin. Repent. And the next is to be baptized. And that means full immersion. Under the water. Because it's a watery grave. That's what it all means. It's a watery grave. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. The power of what Peter was talking about there was so fantastic. So wonderful. A change in life. A watery death. And the remission of sins. And one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts that any of us could have, we, we all like to receive gifts. But I'll tell you, this is the most important gift in any person's life. This gift that God gives us is the most important gift that we have. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The pro, the, I, I want to emphasize this because I've had 
I have had people come in, oh, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm truly if I'm if I'm truly uh, Jesus is God's you know child. I don't know if I if He really has accepted me. And I said, well, hey, were you? Did you repent? Yeah. Were you baptized? Well, yeah. Did did, did you come up out of the watery grave and and the ministers lay hands on you? Well, yeah. Then I, I tell them, I say, listen, that gift is in you. Do never doubt that gift is in you. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that is so vital. Because that's what this day is about. The gift of God's Holy Spirit. And he says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so here's the process that's been going on since that day, in that Pentecost, when, when that was given. 33 AD, 34, I'm not sure exactly what the date, I didn't look that up. But from that date on, many have been called down through the ages. And we're going to talk about them and what, where they are at and what they're waiting for. Because... We're all looking for one thing, and that's the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. But the promise of this is so vital. And so, and he says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. I'll tell you what, those words <laughs> could, could be, I guess, could be said on any generation, but to me today, is this is one of the most untoward generations that I've ever lived in, and I've been I'll be 73 in uh, in June, and I've seen a lot of things over the years that I, I never ever never ever thought I would ever hear the word woke used in the way that it's being used today. Anyway, <laughs> then they that gladly received his word and were baptized. And that same day, they were added. There was added unto them three thousand souls. Oh, what it would be! What a blessing it would be to see three thousand people come who had heard the word and were repentant and wanted to be baptized. I don't know what we would do. We'd have to get a lot bigger tank. <laughs> We'd have a long time to bring all those people in and baptize them and bring them up and pray over them and realize from there on. They are the children of God. So it's so wonderful to read these. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, it was a powerful time then. There was a lot of powerful things that went on. The Spirit itself is a powerful thing. And it quickens. And Jesus said this in John, the fifth chapter. The Spirit quickens. John 5 and verse 21. He says, um, I'm going to read the 19, 20, and 21. He says, uh, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. So there was a mutual, uh, you know, they, they were talking to each other constantly. They, were, they had this loving relationship, which we can have with God. We have that loving relationship through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens, that word quickens or quickeneth or is quickening, um, that means to make alive. That's 2227, you want to write that down. Uh, even so, the Son quickens whom he will. The Son quickens whom he will. Let's read a few more of these. This is, uh, John 6, um, 6, 6, John 663, if I can get that out. <clears throat> it is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Did you ever think about reading God's word and being so inspired by it? Your spirit was lifted because of the words that you read? Well, that's what it's all about. Those words are powerful. And the spirit that dwells in you desires those words. I was, uh, I was listening to some music, spiritual music, and, and that inspires me. It's, and I, sometimes I get teary-eyed with music. I, I, can, I can preach and things like that, but sometimes music affects me so differently. I, I, I just, sometimes I can't even, if I'm singing and it's, it's the, it hits me, the, the words can be so effective. The spirit that quickens the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Ephesians 2, we, we just got through with the Bible study there, but I think it's important to go back to, to Ephesians, the second chapter, and read those words again that are so encouraging about being quickened. Yeah, maybe I can find it. <laughs> Ah, oh, come on. There it is. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loves us. You know, these holy days are a part of his love. Set forth at the beginning when he first created man, put him on the earth. He loved his crea- He loves his creation. He continues to love his creation. He's upset with sin. He hates sin, but he loves people. He loves his creation. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Beautiful words. In Colossians, another one. Colossians, uh, the second chapter also. Colossians 2. And um, looks like I have a few of these verses. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through the philosophy of vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, that's what baptism is, being buried with Christ in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. God is operating on us. Uh, Reggie gave us about the, the clay. You know, we, we're like clay. We, we're, we're, we should be moldable. We should be listening to what God is telling us. When we read his word, should you change? I'm reading words here. I, should I change? Yes, I should change because God says I should change. Should I be doing something different? Yes, I should be doing something because God tells me I should be doing something different. If, if the spirit is moving you, don't ignore it. If the spirit is telling you this is what you need to be doing. It's helpful. He said, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcised of your flesh has he quickened together with him, having given you all, uh, forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them, uh, uh, them in it. So, one more here, 1 Peter 3, verse 18. First Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so we see even Jesus. Because the Spirit was 
I mean, he had the spirit in full measure. But God raised him because of that spirit. Quickened him. Made him alive. It was interesting when he was standing there and Mary didn't recognize him. He says, don't, don't touch me. She wanted to grab him. I talked about this earlier. She wanted to grab him. She wanted to hug him. She loved Jesus. He said, no, don't touch me. I haven't gone before the Father yet. But go and tell. Go and tell my disciples. Go and tell them that your God, um, my God and your, and, and my Father and your God, and my Father and my God and your Father and your God is, uh, is with me. I could quote that out of there and I should, but I, I think you know that, those scriptures. So let's go. Um, and with that, I also was thinking that God is not the God of the dead. And Jesus had a very interesting um, point here in, in Luke, the 20th chapter, beginning in verse 27. I know where it's at, but it bothers me that I didn't quote that right, so give me a second. Well, I guess I'm not even going to find it. Anyway, let's go to the Luke, the 20th, 20th chapter. And sometimes uh, I do that. Luke 20, beginning in verse 27. Then came he to this, a certain Sadducee, uh, came to him certain of the Sadducees, which uh, deny that there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us that if a man's brother die, having a wife, and he died without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took a wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, in like manner, the seven also. And they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? <laughs> For seven had her the wife. They thought they had him. <laughs> they thought they had him right there with that one. Oh boy, we got him now. Jesus answered and said, and this is quite profound, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. The children of God and the children of the resurrection. And by the way, this is found in all the synoptic gospels. If you want to look, Matthew 22, 23-33, and Mark 12, 18-27. When you find it in all three of them, it's pretty significant because not all of the, of the quotes of Jesus are in all of the synoptic gospels. But in this particular instance, there are all three in there, and they're all pretty much exactly the same. And so, <clears throat> very interesting. Now that the dead, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush, when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Wow, that's. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's, that's quite a quote. That's something to get your little mind around. God is not the God of the dead. So that means that there is something that God does when we die that preserves everything that we are. It's called the book of life. And it's called also um, 
other things, but that, that's the primary, that your name is written in the book of life. And in there, probably, are all the characteristics that we are, who we are. And we will receive a different body. Uh, we will retain some of those various things, but we will receive a spiritual body. God is not the God of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll try not to go through everything in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> no, I don't have it all down. I love that. I love that. That chapter. It's so encouraging in what it says in there. Um, obviously, I don't have my same Bible that I always use, which I'm so familiar with. I couldn't find it this morning for some reason. And so I grabbed this older one that I've had, and I was real familiar with it. I've got it marked up all over the place, but it seems like I'm having a little trouble getting to where I want. So I'm in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And just a few verses here. Now, let's begin in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then you are also which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, in Christ, and so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. And so, at that first resurrection, those first ones are resurrected that God has been gathering all this time when Christ returns and we're with him. They are a kind of a first fruit offering also that will come up and be a part of what God is setting up on this earth. His new kingdom that will be set up in Jerusalem. Oh, boy. Keep thinking about what goes on in Jerusalem and what's happened in that particular area. We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, so that those things can be changed. And then comes the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he must put all things under his feet. But when he's, he says all things are put under him, it's manifest that he accept <clears throat> which did put all things in, under him. And, and let's go to Romans 8, verse 23. I'm... I'll come back to Romans 8 here in a minute. Romans 8, verse 23. And not only they, I'm just breaking into Paul's thought, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we are ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. That's the whole thing. We, the first fruits of the Spirit, that spirit that was given on Pentecost. We are a part of that first fruits down through the ages. We don't know how many. God is called and they sleep. As Tom does today. Tom McMurray. I knew him when he was just a young boy. Known their family for a very long time. I, it's uh, sad to to, uh, to know that he's um, passed, but also I rejoice in the fact that I know that he has made it into the kingdom. A very, very dedicated young man, very much um, loving the word of God. And tuned into us just about every time that he could.
we'll come back to this. Let's go to Romans, the 11th chapter. Let's see if I have enough time to do this one before. Romans 11. Salvation has come to the Gentile. Paul was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And in verse 13, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles as much as I am. And that word Gentiles means, you know, nations. At that particular time, it was all those that were, were not of the Jewish, uh, not uh, uh, Jewish. I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them by be the reconciling of the, of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? And he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his people. He's talking about the rejection that they did. And they rejected Christ, They've, and they still, the Jews still reject the Messiah. One of these days, they will accept him, and they will understand he said, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and you being wild olive tree, was grafted in among them, and with them partakers of that root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if you boast, you bearest not the root, but the root uh, you. You will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he, not, he also spare not you. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, uh, 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 fell severity but toward thee, toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and was grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. So Paul was trying to, to help them to understand that this is something God has opened up. When the Spirit was given, it opened the door. It, it was very closed to the children of Israel, to the Jews later on. But God, when that Spirit was given, opened the door to many, many thousands and millions to become His sons. And it was... That was his goal in the first place, but he wanted to have a nation that would be his, that he could show the world that these are the ones that follow me. And they sinned, and they were rejected. I mean, we talked about that before. That first generation fell in the wilderness, 40 years tromping through the, the wilderness, and that first generation lost out, but that second generation went into the promised land. As Jesus is going to take us into the promised land. He says, For I would not, have breth I would not brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies in their, uh, for their sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And so we see, and you can read the rest of that all the way to verse 36 if you'd like. Okay, let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Getting close to finishing my message, although I have quite a bit to talk about in Romans 8. So.
This one I love. This is, this is so beautiful. And the wording is, is, so, is so profound. It, how it is written and how the author, and we think it is Paul, wrote this, contrasting what the, Moses saw at the burning bush and, and also at the, at the base of the Mount Sinai. He says, you're not come into the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor the blackness and darkness and tempest. Verse 18. Uh, and verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The brethren, we, this is for us, we have come unto the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. I've always said it, it would be nice if we could just see one time that innumerable company of angels. It would probably scare us to death, but it would be a beautiful thing to really encourage us. But we have faith that this is it. And one of these days we're going to see them. They're going to be our servants and companions in the kingdom. But there's going to be innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. He says, see that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice that shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And the, this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God ex um, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. You ever thought of God as a consuming fire? I mean, he, he shines greater than the sun. The power of it, he shines greater than the sun. You could not look on him and live. To finish up, one of the most powerful ones in all scripture is powerful, but this one speaks to us and speaks to the, the spirit that dwells in us and speaks to us about sin. And that's Romans, the eighth chapter. He says, therefore now, beginning in verse one, there's now no con condemnation which are uh, to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law and the, and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the, the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. We walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, that means just a natural mind, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's that spirit that dwells in us. To be spiritually minded. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It hates God. It's against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be, does the spirit of God dwell in you. And the way you get that is to repent to be baptized, to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. For those that may be listening, that's something that we 
can do, if you want to be baptized, and you feel that, please contact us. We're able to, to counsel you and see if you're ready for that. But this is what it's all about. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, and so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But as the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. That is the hope that we have as his children. That even if we live, we have hope that, that, you know, that God's leading us, guiding us, directing us, because the Spirit dwells in us. But if we die, that Spirit is what quickens us, makes us alive. And that day, when Christ returns, we will come up, we will be resurrected with that new body. You read through all of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, find out what Paul elaborated on that beautiful body and what it's going to be like. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Wow. That's powerful words. We are the sons of God. If you have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and you are led by that Spirit, you are a son of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. That word adoption can also mean sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is uh, Greek for father, so father, father. We understand the relationship that we have as sons. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer uh, with him, we shall also be glorified together. I'm not sure all the things that God has set aside for us, but I'm sure that when we come into the kingdom, we will be totally amazed at what he has planned for his children. You know, God says he... He doesn't think like we, and he, he's, he's not a man. And so the things that he is developing and, and doing are way beyond our ability to understand it. Now, we found out things about ourselves uh, with DNA, RNA, all of that. It's taken large computers and stuff like that. But it's God that created those things. The earth, we, we learn about the different things on the earth. But God created it. God created, all, all we're doing is discovering what God has already created, the power that he had in creation. We look out into the heavens and we see all of those planets and all of those things. and We sent a, you know, a couple of robots to, to Mars to look for, I mean, the only reason why we're doing it, we're trying to look for life. <laughs> I don't know why they don't look on Earth. It's kind of hard to believe we've got to send something up to Mars to look for life when there's so much life on Earth. Now, I, I don't know what God has done. I can't say that God hasn't done a lot of things that we would be amazed at. But I've got to say that this is where he is doing his major work. His children. He is raising children. He loves children. And it's the spirit in Jesus when he saw the little kids come to him. He rebuked his own disciples. Don't suffer the children to be separated from me. Let them come. Let, them be, let me hug them. Let me bless them. I want, I want children. Je- Jesus loves children. The Father loves us as his children. If children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. He says, for I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is revealed in us. And some suffer a lot with a lot of different things. 
cancers cause great suffering. Um, injuries cause great suffering sometimes. Different things in our life come about. And he says, those things cannot be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits, that word creature is actually creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting for our resurrection, for us to come up. It's because that spirit that dwells in us, that quickens us, and if we're dead or alive when Christ returns, makes no difference. We will be with Christ in that heavenly place on the earth. Because it will be a holy place that God will set up on this earth, that Jesus will set up. It will be holy. He said the, the creation was made, man, uh, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage and corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have first, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves, waiting, waiting, we're waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. That day when we receive that glorious body, if we're suffering with many physical problems and many physical things, that day is going to come. You know, Tom had the MD, muscular dystrophy. It began to take him down, and he finally, when I saw him, was just laying there. He couldn't, couldn't move, had to take oxygen. But I knew that God's Spirit was dwelling in him. And I think of these scriptures for him. To wit, the adoption, the redemption of our body, the change from the, the physical body to the spiritual. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you woke up in the middle of the night sometimes? Not in understanding, but the, for some reason, the, the, you know, there's something going on. The Spirit is talking to you, wanting you to, to search out a, something in the Bible, search out some word or something personally in your own life. And, and, and you go and, and you, you can't go back to sleep and you go get your Bible and you look. And it's happened many times uh, in my life. I, I've just woke up and I, I, I'm thinking, what is it that, that God is wanting to teach me? What is, what is he wanting to help me to understand deeper? It helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. But the Spirit makes intercession for us, groanings which cannot be uttered. And he, has, and he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What he foreknew was that he wanted children. He wanted a family. He desired to have a family. So that's what he wanted. And so he did. He said, this is what's going to happen. And God is able to do that. I mean, it's, he's, he's all powerful. He says, this is going to happen. And it did. Predestinate, be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Not just one, not just two brethren, not just a few, but many brethren. Thousands, millions, hundreds of millions, billions of brethren in the kingdom. How big is God? How big a father do you think he is? Is he limited in how many he wants into his kingdom? I don't think so. He's got multitude of angels around him, and they do his bidding. But he desires a family. 
He's already got one son. The first of the first fruits that sits on his right hand. And they're planning. And they're helping us to understand their plan through the holy days. Through the Sabbath and the holy days. Every time we come, every time we obey God, and we come and we listen, and we're here, and we sing songs, and we are rehearsing our desire to be in that kingdom. That we want to be a part of it. We want to be there. The firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he called, whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. I look forward for all of us one day to receive our crown in the kingdom of God.